Good morning, church. My name is Colton, and I'll be reading our passage this morning. I'll be on uh, chapter 16 of Genesis, verses 1 through 16. That can be found on page 10 of your pew Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. Genesis 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when, he saw, when she saw that she had conceived, and when she looked, she looked with content on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong be yeah, sorry, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with content. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be outnumbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahroi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar had bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, we're going to dismiss the So if they want to be dismissed to kindergarten, um, as well as any of the people who are going to the ESL sermon discussion, you can be dismissed. And... Kira as well is, uh, there's a training class for people who are serving in children's ministry. So if that was something you were going to attend, hopefully some of us will stay in here, but <laughs> there will be a few people dismissed this morning. That training class is to get ready for the fall children's and youth classes that will resume in just a couple of weeks. And so since we're still in a time where there's more children in the sanctuary um, than during the school year, uh, parents may have noticed uh, some of the content with today's sermon passage touches on difficult topics. I'm going to do my best to speak to that in a way that's both meaningful and appropriate. And the way I want to do that is by getting at this passage through the idea of waiting. 
And so if you have a sermon bulletin, if you're a kid in the sanctuary and you would draw a picture, uh, maybe you would draw a picture of something you have to wait for. Uh, maybe it's waiting for a birthday. Maybe it's waiting for a vacation, a trip with grandma and grandpa or something like that. Uh, maybe you're waiting for school to start. Probably not many of you, but maybe a few of you just can't wait for school to start. Um, children, if you think it's hard to wait, uh, it is, but it's also hard for adults, even adults who know the Lord loves them and love the Lord as well. That's what we see for Abram and Sarai. Would you pray with me as we begin to study this passage together? Heavenly Father, as we sang, we want your, your word to speak loud. And that you would be building up your church until, as we sang, the world is filled with your glory. May we see your heart in this passage for your voice to be the loudest, but also your heart for the weak and the wounded and the wayward. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If I came up here this morning to preach... But instead of starting the sermon in the usual way, I just I, I thought, got up here, looked at you and said, hang on a minute, um, just give me a second, and then I walk out, just wait for me, I say, and then I walk out the side aisle and go out the door. My guess is 30 seconds of dead air would feel like a really long time. You would be wondering, what in the world is going on. At some point, someone who knows me, maybe someone from up here, would, might go out the door and see if I'm okay or, or whatever is going on. At some point, David might come back up here and say, hey, we're just going to pause for a few more minutes. I'm going to go check on him. But then my question is like, well, well then what? What if David doesn't come back? You're, you're wondering what's going on dangerous out in the, But how long would you wait? I mean, at some point, five minutes, maybe 30 minutes, I don't know. At some point, someone in church leadership would stand here like, we don't know what's going on, this isn't going well, uh, we'll send you an email later this afternoon, let's just pray and dismiss, or something like that. I don't know, I imagine what would happen. Um, it feels strange to describe that, but I'm sure in our collective church experience, someone has been in a church where the pastor <laughs> like, wasn't feeling well, or whatever, and had to leave. Anyway, my point is that waiting can be hard, yeah, but waiting can also be weird and disorienting. Here's what I mean. In that scenario, as you're, I'm gone and you're wondering, you would, your mind would be going backward. And you'd be saying, wait, wait, wait. wait. Like, what? Did he say wait? And I'll be right back? Or did he say just leave? Or what, what, what was it that he said before he walked out the door and left? Like, what did he really say? Seasons of waiting can cause all sorts of second-guessing. can be disorienting. And in the context of our Christian faith, waiting can cause us to question God. Whether He's good and what has He really said. And, and, and not only that, but it can cause us in these seasons of waiting to go, okay, well, maybe there's a shortcut here. Maybe, maybe we can come up with a plan that will fix this. Maybe we can help God out. And that's certainly what we see going on in this passage. 
All summer long, we've been studying what God has to teach us through the life of this person named Abram. Maybe you're visiting this week, maybe you've missed some weeks, so let me catch us up to speed. Abram lived a long time ago, something like 4,000 years ago. But when rightly understood, his struggles, they're not so strange, at least in principle. God called Abram while he was still a very pagan man. He called him out of a very pagan city, a pagan culture, a pagan beliefs that seems like he was a moon worshiper from the rest of Scripture. But since that first calling, Abram has seen the Lord work in mighty ways. He's received many promises from the Lord, and some of those promises are even coming true already. So at this point in the story, he's living in what we call the promised land. Right? Which, which is an indication that some of these promises are coming true. He's in the promised land. But a central aspect of the promise, this promise for children, remains unanswered. God told Abram that he'd have many children. In, in one passage, it's described as many of the, as the stars of the heaven. That's how many children you're going to have. And yet, when Abram looks around, the night sky is black. No stars. No children. Last week, Pastor Tony, he, he led us through Genesis 15, where Abram discusses the struggle with the Lord. And Abram uses very candid language. It's raw, even. In Genesis 15, 3, he says to God, this is the quote, Behold, you have given me no offspring. When he he says, behold, to God, he's like, like, look, do you not see what's come of your promises? Nothing. God is not brittle. He can handle our doubts and our honest concerns when we bring them to him. In fact, that's what he would want us to. To do, we call it biblical lament, the bringing of our concerns about the Lord to the Lord. But that was last week, and that was Abram. This week, Sarai, Abram's wife, she's struggling with these same promises. The night sky looks black to her as well. No stars, no children, only despair. Let me reread verses 1 to 3 again, just If you have a Bible, just leave it open. I'm going to be referring to this passage often. So Genesis 16, verses 1 to 3, they go like this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now this this feels strange, right? But it's not not so strange. Sometimes today, when couples struggle with infertility, they pursue other options. There's adoption, there's surrogate mothers, there's several kinds of fertility treatments that can be done. 
And while the practice described here in this practice or this, this passage is, is, seems strange, if we had lived back in Abram's day, this practice was the way for a struggling couple to have a child. It's not so strange. It's what people did. And I won't bore you with reading the passages, but we have um, several passages from surrounding like cultures that, from this time period that say as much. This is how things were done. This was very normal in their world. But God was not so neutral about this way, especially for this couple. For Abram and Sarai, this shortcut was sinful. We see this in the way the story is described to us. It's, it's told in parallel structure with the themes of Genesis 3, which is the story of Adam and Eve falling into sin. And, and by putting Genesis 16 in parallel structure with Genesis 3, we're, we're invited to consider it in the same way. We're invited to see them in parallel and to feel the same way about them. In Genesis 3, the, some of you will be familiar with the story, some of you might not, but the, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says to them, did God really say? And Satan plants this seed of doubt and, and then it grows and Maybe God didn't really mean exactly what it seemed like he said, they wonder. Now, in our passage in Genesis 16, we don't have the serpent in there necessarily, but it's not hard to imagine. Abram and Sarai were beginning to think, whether from their own insecurities and doubts and fears, or whether the serpent was planting these doubts, they were beginning to say, did God really say I mean, yes, it's clear that God told Abram that he was going to have children. And yes, we had thought that was going to mean it would happen in the ordinary way of a husband and wife, but maybe not. Maybe that's not what God really said. Maybe this way instead, the way the world does things, is the way the Lord will bless us. Maybe God needs our help. Maybe God is holding out on us. And the doubts are planted and they grow. And you look at verse 2, and verse 2 it says, Abram Listen to the voice of Sarai. Now, ordinarily, a husband and wife, they should listen to each other's voice. That's the ordinary picture. In fact, in a later chapter, Genesis 21, God specifically tells Abram to listen to his wife. So ordinarily, this would be a good sign in marriage. However, if you're in the Garden of Eden and your wife is talking to Satan and she's offering you forbidden fruit... It's not a time you're supposed to listen. And in fact, that's exactly the way it's phrased in Genesis 3. Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And then we read here, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Ancient readers would have heard that and go, uh-oh, that sounds familiar. And not only that, but in verse 3, we read that Sarai, the, the, the verbs that are used, it says she took and she gave, which is the exact same wording that's used of Eve. She took and she gave to her husband. And on top of that, Adam, just like, or excuse me, Abram, just like Adam, is utterly passive. He's just sort of there. They're replaying Genesis 3, and this parallel picture is not a pretty picture. God wants us to see that the waiting was so hard for them, they actually 
begin to replay the fall. They begin to doubt that God is good. They begin to doubt what God had said, and they begin to make a shortcut to end their waiting. We have a lot of sympathy for them, though, don't we? I mean, we don't condone their sin, but we can appreciate the struggle. Look how verse 3 begins. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. 10 years is a long time. And every month hope would rise, hope would build, and then she'd get this reminder, this monthly reminder as her body would whisper back, sometimes feeling like a scream, you're not pregnant yet. August goes by, September comes, and she hears you're not pregnant yet. October, November, December, and another year is gone. Each month, or excuse me, each year, 12 times, 120 brutal reminders. And it's almost like these desires. These desires for a child, these desires to be normal, and all these insecurities that she'd been guarding and cultivating, and in some ways keeping hidden, although everybody could see it, they couldn't talk about it, it wasn't safe to talk about it, she's been guarding and keeping them. They're like little fragile pieces of glass, and she was throwing them up to God in prayers and saying, Lord, can you catch this? Can you see this? And then for her, all of a sudden, it's like they fall from the sky and shatter in a thousand pieces. And she quits waiting. Her plan worked. She's not so happy that it did. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. And Sarai said to Abram, this is after Hagar's now pregnant and kind of mistreating Sarai, so to speak. Or at least there's something going on there. We can read about it here. Sarai says to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, the servant's in your power. Do with her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You see Abram's passivity just continuing. It's your problem, he essentially says. Again, he's replaying the script of Genesis 3, passive, blaming others. And for Sarai, she makes these big, pious claims about the Lord and judging and justice, and and all these things mingled together, and then yet she immediately goes and mistreats This person in her power, it's vile, it's ugly. And so understandably, Hagar flees. Sarai and Abram, they they found out it's hard to be in the land of Canaan for 10 years and not have the voices in that land challenge your faith. Just ask the question, what, what voices are challenging your faith? They were 10 years in the land of Canaan, and rather than being distinct from the world that they were in, in 
It seems in this area, anyway, they were being shaped by the world. Perhaps we would describe it as a kind of discipleship that was taking place, although not the kind that moves someone towards the Lord. So we ask, in what ways are we being discipled by the world? I mean, certainly there's the area of sexuality, but we talk about that from time to time. I I wonder about others. What, What areas do we say, okay, this is okay, but it's not okay? Consider beauty with me for a minute. How do you know what beauty is? How is your view, our view of beauty shaped more by the world than the Bible? Is beauty something you can see on the outside only, mainly? Is beauty something for the young only, mainly? Is that what the Bible says? What happens to us as a people when we spend 10 years immersed in a view of beauty that's not actually God's perspective? There are consequences. And what about success? What, how do we know what success looks like? What happens to us when we spend 10 years immersed in a community that values success that might not actually be success? At least as God understands that there are consequences. And I don't want this to come out of left field, but just consider two other areas with me here. Just brief. Alcohol and news media. Right? Don't, not normally things come up, but, but here with me for a minute. I believe Scripture speaks of alcohol as a blessing when consumed in moderation. But how do we know what moderation is? Like, if you spend, and I'm going to play the stereotypes here just for a minute, I'm doing it self-aware, but if you spend 10 years in the subculture of craft beer or mommy wine culture, like things, uh, how, how does that shape your view of what moderation is? Do things change? Or consider what media you watch, what we watch, what will spending 10 years watching entertainment news about political and social commentary due to a person. Well, you might say, well, it keeps us informed. Sure, I agree. Totally concede that. But what else does it do? I mean, living in the land of Canaan was good, but what else did it do for Abram and Sarai? We have to be careful. And with news media, I'm not so sure that it matters whether it's Coming more from a perspective left, right, center, center, right, whatever it would be, because the most popular political commentary, the most watched shows, the most viral clips are often in this adversarial tone where it's, 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 it's either you're an ally or you're an enemy, you're a winner or you're a loser. And, and what does that do to us? What does, the, what does it do to the frantic nature of our lives together when every issue gets raised to apocalyptic, apocalyptic levels? And news media helps keep us informed, but it but also shapes the view of what do we think good, healthy, strong leadership looks like and sounds like. To be frank, 10 years saturated in a media culture will make normal, healthy leadership in a local church seem very boring. And there are other ways you can, you can think about them, talk about them, drive home, email me. I'd love to hear, like, what ways do you think about? What ways do we need to be talking about? Here at church, if this passage ended here, we would be very discouraged. The temptations abound, sin abounds, the family, the marriage, it's blowing apart. 
And then there's Hagar. Oh, Hagar, this, this poor woman, this soon-to-be single mother, she's gone, and we don't read that anybody's going to look for her. When Abram, in chapter 14, his nephew Lot gets captured, Abram goes, here? But someone does go looking for her. God does. Thankfully, we have more to this passage than just the beginning. I, I won't read the rest of it, like every verse in detail. I will summarize some of what happens and read a few of the details as we talk about what is the hope of this passage that is so dark. Before what I, I'll call the big hope while we wait, maybe I should mention lesser hopes, so to speak. This Passage doesn't say this, but you get the sense that this couple is very alone. In our words, we would say that she doesn't have a church where she can come to week in and week out and be reminded that God loves her, that God loves them. The voice of their doubts can get really loud when they don't have regular opportunities to sing with other believers about the goodness of God. Abram and Sarai, they, they didn't have a chance each week to sing until their doubts, at least for another week, were quieted down. And I wonder if Abram and Sarai, if they even had anyone they could meet with for coffee and say, honestly, this has been another bad week, bad month, again. I wonder if they had someone who could say back to them, yeah, I know, I know your waiting is hard and I'm not going to tell you this is easy, but hang on. Hang on. Did they have a small group of believers they could meet with regularly, a people who knew them, the real them, the real Abram, the real Sarai, with their real struggles? Did they have people who could weep with them each month? Of course, you can tell. I'm not so much talking about them as I am talking about us. Now, I am not so naive to think that everyone in church, even a good church, there's dozens of them around, has no problems. Or the problems we do have, they get fixed really quick. I, I'm not so naive to think that. But I am saying that the church is not merely for individuals who are weak, wounded, and wayward, but for the community of the weak, wounded, and wayward to strive together with one voice, to glorify and enjoy the living Jesus and speaking of Jesus. He is the greatest hope. He's the only hope, really, in this passage. In fact, the church, as we exist and as we function as a hopeful entity, a, a, a group of believers, we only do so as we embody this message, that hope that comes through Jesus. As, when we look at this passage, it's really bad. It's really bad. I'm, I'm not going to try to sanitize it for you. There's sexual sin. There's passivity. There's domestic abuse. There's slavery. And God approves of none of it. Abram and Sarai, they are not heroes as we normally understand heroes, especially religious heroes. They are so broken. I mean, think about what we're reading here. Can you imagine being married who you are, and taking one of your worst meritable fights and then recording the transcript of that fight and then cropping it to the most cutting insults and then recording that, putting it in to the best-selling book of all time. 
I mean, that's wild. Can you imagine? The only hope is hope in God. This is true for Hagar. Hagar is an Egyptian. From the geography details, she's, she's going back home. She's heading to Egypt and no one cares about her except God. And the angel of the Lord, we read, shows up to her. And he addressed her by name. Abram and Sarah, you notice in the beginning of the passage, narrator does, but not them. They don't call her by name. She's not an image bearer with a name, but God calls her by name. I'm told as I've been studying here, this passage that in all of the ancient literature from the, from the ancient Near East, this is the only place where a deity addresses a woman by name. And it's this lowly, discarded woman. How like our God to pursue the outcast, just like he did for Abram. Just like Jesus does for us. While we were still far off, the Bible says, God came to us in Jesus to bring us near. And God makes promises upon promises to her. She'll have a child who will be blessed and they'll call the name Ishmael, which means, the name of the mean, it means God hears. And not only will she name the child, but she also names God. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks for me. Therefore, the well, she was there at a well in the desert, was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Barid. There's three little footnotes just in those verses, and you can look down. And they all indicate, that these are all words associated with seeing, God who sees. This discarded woman learns that God loves and hears and sees, and that he will make of her a great nation. Great nations. I'm sure Hagar just treasured up all these things in her heart, as should we. I'll close with this. The, the late counselor and author named David Pallison, he, he, he described the, sanct, the process of sanctification. It's a big word. Um, simple imagery, though. Like a yo-yo going upstairs. So, so sanctification is this process whereby we become more and more like Jesus. And, you know, the, the yo-yo goes down and it goes up. But imagine if that you're walking upstairs as you're doing the yo-yo, right? Like, in moment by moment, it goes, it'll go down, it goes up, but the whole in the hand of God is going upstairs. He's bringing us along. He's maturing us. He's training us. He's disciplining us. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus. We see that in the life of Abram. In this passage here, it looks like the yo-yo, it, it, it's only going down. But then there's the ending. Look with me at 15 and 16. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now he's going to live a long time, so this is like mid-age, middle age for him. 
Before in the passage, it, it says that Hagar was to name the child. And in a way, she still did by telling Abram. And Abram names the child. What does that mean? It means this man who was utterly passive for way too long is beginning to change. The yo-yo is starting to come up. The boy is going to grow up with a father who loves him. Just next week in next week's passage, Abram's going to cry out to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Like he has this affection and love. This, this, it's not a single woman raising a child. It's going to be a dad involved. And we don't read about it yet, but Sarai is going to hear from the Lord later that a child of promise will come through her. Not this one. But that's for another week. And some people come to the Bible as these book of heroes to be inspired by, to, to emulate, and to be like, if that's true of you, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you come to the Bible looking for the God who is good, you won't ever be disappointed. Let me invite the music team to come up and lead us in songs as we close. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I think of Romans 5 where it says that while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. We thank you for the way that gospel grace breaking in story is all through Scripture. May it be all through our lives. Lord, as we wait for you in whatever capacity, whether it's some specific thing in our lives that we're discouraged by or struggling with, or maybe it's just the biggest hope of, 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 of waiting for you to return and put the world right, may you draw especially near. We pray this in Christ's name.